Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. I'm excited this morning because we're starting a brand new series. We're going to be working our way through the book of, of Acts. And it's not going to be an exhaustive study. We're going to take our time going through it and allow God to speak to us what he wants to speak to us. I don't know how long we'll be in the book of Acts, at least for the rest of, of the summer. And we're going to let the Lord lead us. I would strongly encourage that in your own devotional time that you would also take time to read through the book of Acts and see what God wants to speak to you directly and personally. In our bookstore, we've got a resource that I want to make you aware of. It's a little notebook, always encouraging you to take notes, but this is a notebook. It has the book of Acts and then a bunch of places to write notes as you read through the book of Acts. It's in the New King James Version, which is one of the primary ones that, that I use. So these are available in the bookstore for like five bucks or so, just a, a great tool that you might want to make use of. Any of the stuff in the bookstore, we, we sell it at whatever it costs us to get it. So that, that's not an attempt to make money. It's an attempt to resource people, and I'd encourage you to make use of it. So we'll start in Acts chapter 1 today. Acts was written by Luke, the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So besides having an incredible name, there's a couple of other things that, that, that help set Luke apart. Luke was the only Gentile to write in the Bible. All Jewish people except for Luke, he was a Gentile. Contrary to popular opinion, Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. Content-wise, Paul wrote more books of the Bible, but a lot of those books that Paul wrote were just little short books. Anyone can write a page or two. Luke, Luke, even though he only wrote two, he wrote, he wrote a majority. So Luke wrote the most, then Paul, and then John wrote, wrote the third most. I'm excited about this series, and I want to encourage you really to lean in as we go through the book of Acts. I believe that God wants to do something special in us as a church family. He's gonna challenge us. He's gonna stretch us. This is an opportunity for us to grow, to grow deep. Maybe there's some preconceived ideas of what the church should be and how we should do things that God wants to challenge. I'm excited about it, and I, I want us as a church family to allow God to do what he wants to do in, in our church family. On Sundays, I usually wake up really early. My alarm's always set for four o'clock in the morning. On Sunday mornings, I, li I like to get up early on Sundays. But even though it was set for four, this morning I woke up about 20 minutes before my alarm even, even went off, just woke up, I was ready to go. I my heart was being stirred, uh, excited about God, what God wants to do in us as his body, as the body of Christ. Amen? So I wanna pray and then we'll jump in to to Acts chapter one. Before we do that, let me mention one other thing. As we were concluding worship, the Holy Spirit brought forth a word. Some of you may, may have heard it. Some of you may have not uh, have, have heard it. Because, because our church is, is growing and we're getting larger, here's what I'd like, like you to do. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is giving you a word, uh, I'm sitting right over here. I'd like you to come and let me know. And then it just, just for ease of communication, you can come and let me know. The week before last, someone had a word, brought him up with a microphone, and so, so everyone can hear, and we don't have to scream and, and uh, just 
as, as we grow, just for the ease of communication. Make sense? Well, that's, that's, how, that's how we'll do things. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We honor you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're here with us. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we invite you to come and speak to our hearts. Give us a spirit of revelation and understanding so we can know you more. Father, bless us with eyes to see and ears to hear. Holy Spirit, come and move. You're our teacher. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we'll start with verse 1. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, we'll keep reading more, but there's some significant things in that first verse. So he says, The former account, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke that he wrote. The former account I wrote, it says, Of all that Jesus, that Jesus did what? That he began to do and teach. So all that's written in the Gospels, it says that that was just the beginning. That was just the first part. That was Jesus just getting started. He was beginning to do and to teach. Have you ever seen a movie that you, you thought was a great movie? You go and you see a movie and you think, man, this is like one of my top 10 of all time movies. If I'm stranded on an island and I can only take 10 movies with me, this is going to make the cut. You ever had a movie that you're excited about? You're telling other people, man, you've got to see that movie. For you, it was just, it was great. And then you hear a couple of years later that they're going to make a sequel to that movie. And you think, oh man, this is, this is going to be amazing. Even when that, you know, you, you thought to yourself, I thought when they concluded that, I had some ideas. I felt like they set it up for a sequel, man. There were so many things that they could have done with the storyline. I see where they could take it from here. And you've got ideas. So you're pumped about the sequel and you're, you can't wait for it to hit the theaters. And then you go to see part two of that movie that you love. And about by halfway through the movie, you're scratching your head. You're thinking, what in the world? They've ruined, they, they, they've just thrown away the opportunity for the sequel. I had like five ideas that were better than this garbage that they, they put together. Have you ever had that experience where the sequel is just, an, just, it's a complete letdown. It's obvious they're just trying to throw something together to make money off the success uh, of the first one. But every once in a while, and I, and I can only think of one off the top of my head, where the first movie was a great movie and the next one was even better than the first one. It is rare that the sequel matches or is better than, than the first part. But the sequel, Jesus let us know, the continuation of what he wanted to do and teach wasn't supposed to be a sharp drop-off like a, a second bad movie. It wasn't supposed to be a letdown. It wasn't supposed to be something that leaves you longing for the first part. Jesus said that the sequel, the continuation of what he began to do and teach would actually be better than the first part. He said, it's for your advantage that I'm going away. I'm going to be with the Father so I could send you the Holy Spirit. That means it's going to be even better with us having the Holy Spirit than when we had Jesus here in person. He said, the things that I do, you'll do the same things, and what? And even greater things, because I'm going to be with the Father. So it's supposed to be even better, the continuation. It doesn't say all that Jesus did and taught, it says all that he began to do and teach. That, that was just the beginning part. So when you think about the Gospel of Luke, or all of the Gospels, all of the things that Jesus did, the healings, the miracles, the provision, the restoration, the teaching, 
the healing, the forgiving, all these incredible things. In the Gospel of John, it says, if everything that Jesus did was written down, the entire world couldn't contain the books. So, so what we have is just a, a sampling. The, the miracles Jesus did weren't just one-offs or just on rare occasions he'd do something miraculous. It was a steady flow from his life. And it's telling us Jesus wants to continue to do those same kinds of things. He wants to continue to teach. There's th still things Jesus wants to do and teach, and he wants to do them through people like you and me. It's done through the Holy Spirit by, by means of the church. Jesus was just beginning his work of doing and teaching, and he wants to continue it to this day. Amen. All that Jesus began to do and teach. So, so if we're going to continue it, it's good for us to know what that first part was. When, when Jesus was here, when Jesus was walking and ministering, the reality of the living Jesus, when people encountered him, they were completely changed. When Jesus ministered, it brought an end to the rule of the devil in that situation or in that life. That he was setting people free. He was destroying strongholds. He was, he was lifting diseases off, off of people. The, the name of the book of Acts technically is the Acts of the Apostles. Or some people will say it, it would be better called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But if we really want to get technical, it should be the acts of Jesus. It's what Jesus wants to continue to do and teach by the power of the Holy Spirit through people like us, through, through, his, through his church. And I believe God wants to use, as we go through the book of Acts, to, to stir our hearts to raise the standard of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, to raise our expectation and the standard of, of what it is to be a church or, or to go to church, to stir us up, to create some holy discontent, a desire for something more, for something beyond what, what we're currently experiencing. You know, you have a concept of what it means to be a Christian, right? When you hear, oh, that guy at work, he's a Christian. Oh, that lady that just moved in down the street, she's a Christian. You have an idea of what that means in your mind. Well, they're, they're gonna be maybe reserved, they're gonna be gentle, uh, they're, they're gonna be, you know, probably not tell dirty jokes. You've got some kind of concept of that of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You've got some kind of concept of, of what it means to go to church or to be the church. That going to the church, uh, you know, when I go to church, it's a, it's a building that we go to, that they have a singing time, and then a guy gets up there and talks for a while, and hopefully he's done in time for us to beat the rush to get to the restaurant, and we eat some good food, and then go home and take a nap. And that's kind of Sundays, that's church day, right? You, you've got some kind of idea in your mind of what church is or what your expectation of church is all about. I believe God wants, wants to challenge that, wants to raise our expectation. God responds to our level of hunger and desire. And if our hunger, if our expectation, if what we're looking for is just what I outlined, then that's what we'll receive. But God wants to stir us up to a point of greater hunger. And I, I believe he wants to raise that standard to supernatural, that there would be a supernatural expectancy, a supernatural desire, a hunger for something. When I, when I say supernatural, I don't mean, you know, hocus pocus, weird, mystical things. I mean something beyond what we can accomplish in the natural. Supernatural, beyond what we can do in our own ability. There's got to be something more to serving Jesus than what we could do even if we weren't serving Jesus. Amen? We could have a, a singing time in the natural. We could gather some talented singers and musicians and have a sing-along in the natural. 
correct? We can have a man stand up with a microphone and have prepared a little speech and give, give a talk and then dismiss with a nice little see you later. We, we could do that in the natural, but there's, there's got to be something more, something deeper, something beyond what we're able to produce in our own effort, in our own ability. God wants to stir that desire. Again, a holy disconnect, discontent. God, I want something more. I want a supernatural realities of what it is to be the body of Jesus Christ and to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. There's got to be something more. So a lot of times we only look at it as, yeah, the church should be something more. Yeah, these services should be more powerful, and I agree, but a lot of times we push that off on the church as this generic idea, but we need to realize, you know who the church is? It's you. It's, it's, it's made up of us. It's not just this concept that we wish, yeah, we, I, I want the supernatural. Well, it's just a, a bunch of us believers getting together so if the standard for the church needs to go up, then that means the standard for you needs to go up. The standard for me needs to go up. A, a, a greater reliance looking for, hungering for, walking according to the spirit and walking in the supernatural. Because there's things even in your own life that you could accomplish in the natural. You, you can have a mediocre marriage in the natural, right? P people do it all the time. It needs to be something supernatural about the way you, you lead your life, the way you conduct yourself. You, you could raise average children. You could raise indifferent teenagers in the natural. Anyone could do that. What about a spirit-filled, anointed man of God or woman of God? We should be walking, raising the standard, raising the expectation. That is, we're living this life. We're not to do it in the natural. There should be super, supernatural testimonies coming out of the body of Christ coming out of our church that even non-Christians, when they hear the kind of testimonies that are being produced in the body of Christ, say, I, I must go to your church. I've got to go to your church and see what's going on. Amen? Yeah. Testimonies beyond, beyond I, I had a nice day. Yeah. My week went pretty good. And I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle that. Thank God for nice days and weeks going well. But when people encountered Jesus, they had more of a testimony than, yeah, it was a nice day. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my week went pretty good. Praise God. I just want to testify. I had, my, my, I had an okay week. Well, I, again, thank God for that. But that's not the kind of testimonies that Jesus was producing. And this, that was just the beginning of what he continues to want to do and teach. His desire hasn't changed in what he wants to see happen in people's lives. When people encountered Jesus, they had testimonies like, hey, do you, you remember how my body was bleeding day after day, month after month, year after year, that I had that problem? I was unclean and bleeding for 12 straight years. Well, let me tell you, I encountered this guy named Jesus and he made me whole again. I'm completely, those are the kind of testimonies. Hey, do you remember when I was blind, when I couldn't see? Do you remember when I was crippled and I lived my life on that little mat just begging for people to give me a scrap of food or something? Well, let me tell you, I encountered the power of Jesus. Or you remember, you remember how I used to be paralyzed and then one day I had four friends come and grab my, my little cot and they carried me away? Well, let me tell you where they took me. They took me to this place, let me down through the roof and I ended up in front of this man named Jesus and he spoke to me and told me, that those kinds of testimonies to testimonies like, Hey, Hey, do you, you remember when I was, you remember when I was dead? You remember my funeral? How you sang that song at my funeral? I just want to tell you, man, that was awesome. I appreciate that. Those kind of testimonies. And it sounds, it sounds a little silly even to talk like that, but I'm, 
I'm not saying that to be silly. Those, those are the kind of testimonies, right? That, that, that's what's written in the Bible. Those are the testimonies that people really, really had. So we, we can talk about that and almost kind of chuckle to ourselves like, oh yeah, blind eyes being, blind eyes being healed, dead, dead people being raised, paralyzed people able to walk. That, that's what we find in the scriptures. So it's, it's sad that it's gotten to a point in the church where even mentioning those kinds of testimonies causes us to, it's kind of humorous even to think like that. There's a problem in our mind because we begin to rely on the natural so much. God wants to stir up a, 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 a distaste for what I can accomplish, what you can accomplish in the natural, and a hunger and thirst for the deep things of God, the supernatural. That, 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 should be, that should be what happens in the body of Christ. This isn't supposed to be a natural meeting a natural group of people. It's a, a supernatural environment. It's the people of God co coming together. Verse two. At this pace, it's gonna take us a while to get through the book of Acts. <laughs> Of all that Jesus began both to do, he, he was just beginning. He was just, it was just a starting point. Of all that Jesus began to do and to teach, verse two, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. After his sufferings by many, infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. How did Jesus present himself? He, he presented himself, presented himself alive for 40 days, presented himself alive. And it says with many for 40 days over and over again with many infallible, it means unmistakable proofs that he was, he was alive. So Jesus took 40 days before he, he returned to heaven just to continue to prove over and over again what? He was, he was alive. Now, uh, there was a lot of teaching and instruction that the disciples had received over the course of three years. They knew his teaching. They could repeat his teaching. They wrote down his teachings. They knew his ministry philosophy. They knew what kind of guy. They were with them 24-7 for three straight years. What, what more was Jesus going to tell them in that 40 days that he hadn't already told them in the, in the, in the three years? He was driving home the point oh, with many infallible, unmistakable proofs that Jesus, Jesus is alive. That, that, that I, I want to focus on that for the next few moments that we have this morning. And I know it's simple, but it is so foundational and so important Jesus is alive. And I know that you know that, but even as we know that and as we serve Jesus, there is a, a tendency to drift in a way that causes it to move from a reality to a doctrine or uh, just something that we know about instead of a reality that we live in. Jesus, Jesus is, Jesus is alive. Rising from the dead 
isn't just something Jesus did a long time ago. He, he still is the risen Lord Jesus. It's who he is. Jesus is risen and he is alive this morning. He's alive and we, we can have the power to say Jesus is alive and he lives in me. To really have that knowledge and that awareness. And that's what keeps Christianity a relationship real and alive and keeps it from becoming a dried up religion, a formality, a going, a going through the motions, a, a coming into the church building and leaving and trying to get to the restaurant. That's the most exciting part of the, 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 the day is when you, you beat everybody else to the buffet line. That, that should be the most exciting part about a day when you got to spend time in the presence of God and fellowshipping with Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is alive. It's the foundation of the church. It's the foundation of Christianity. It's the foundation of anything else we're going to read in the books of, book of Acts, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the miraculous, all of those things. The foundation is that Jesus didn't just die. He is, he's alive. Jesus, Jesus is alive. Verse four, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he tells his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, why? Why did they receive power? knowing why is important to understand the reason for the power. He didn't say you'll receive power so that there'll be some kind of class system in the body of Christ, that you'll have some kind of means of dividing yourselves up, that you've got spirit-filled Christians and then non-spirit-filled Christians. You've got Pentecostals and then you've got the Baptists and Methodists and everybody else. He didn't give us the, the Holy Spirit and power so that we could elevate ourselves, that we could differentiate ourselves. It's important to know, to know why. Because if we don't know the reason, it can lead to arrogance. It can lead to all kinds of, of different mistakes. He gave the Great Commission, right? Go, go and tell everyone, go and tell everyone the good news. And then he said, but before you do that, you need to wait for the promise of the Father, wait for the Holy Spirit. And when, when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll receive power and you'll be witnesses. So the power... The power is in relation to being able to be a witness. It says being witnesses of me or witnesses to me. Now, when you need a witness, it's usually because something is in doubt and you need someone to help clarify or solidify it, right? If I was uh, in a situation where my character was in question, I'm applying for something or I'm involved in some kind of legal issue and my, they didn't know about my character, and I came to one of you and I said, would you be a character witness for me? That would mean they're not sure about my character, but I would need you to come and bring clarification. I want you to remove the doubt of whether I'm a good guy or not, right? Or in a, in a legal case, when they call witnesses to the stand and someone is supposed to testify, they're not looking for that person 
to testify about stuff that is already a given, that everybody already knows. They want them to make comment and, and bring some insight that will add clarity about things that, that all are in doubt, right? That's, you with me? That, that's what a witness is for. A witness helps to provide information, insight that removes where I'm not clear, I kind of, I kind of doubt that. Now, Jesus says, I want you to be witnesses of me or witnesses to me. What would we witness about Jesus that needs supernatural, supernatural power and backing in order to be an effective witness? What aspect of who Jesus is? It's not just that there was a guy named Jesus, right? You, you don't need supernatural power to be effective in being a witness to that fact. That, that's, that's a historical fact. Uh, heathens, pagans, uh, you know, atheists, they, they all, there was a guy named Jesus. It's just, you don't need supernatural power to instill that in somebody. The fact that Jesus was a good teacher, that he, he was a good guy, said some good things. Again, I don't know of any religion that denies that. Lots of religions think of Jesus as a good teacher, a philosopher. He said some really, really nice things. So you don't need, you, you don't need power to tell people that. that that's, people already accept that. People already know that. It's not even about witnessing to the fact that he died on the cross. Again, there's, there's secular historians that have documented Jesus of Nazareth was executed by, by the Romans. That, that's a historical fact. But but you do need supernatural ability to bear witness to the fact that Jesus, he didn't just live, he didn't just teach, he didn't just die on the cross, but three days later, he rose from the grave and he is alive again. He's alive today. That's where you need supernatural ability to be able to be an effective witness, to bear witness of the fact that Jesus is alive. And he said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses and specifically to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. Let's look at a couple of passages where you can see this, this is the message of the early church. This is what they preached. Not just that Jesus was around, but that he died and he rose again. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll come back to Acts. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, moreover, brethren, starting in verse one, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Now he's gonna start recapping the message. He's talking about the gospel that I preached when I came to you, when I came to Corinth. He's going to sum it up for us. For I delivered to you, first of all, that, wh that which I also received. What was it? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. He's, he's recapping the message that he preached. Where is the emphasis put in this, in this 
presentation of the gospel. The emphasis is on the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen again. He's talking about all these people that have seen him. He's giving them proofs. Jesus is alive. Turn to Acts chapter two. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached that first message, I'll just read a couple of verses and kind of jump to the the climax or the crux of what Peter preached. Verse 22, it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So Peter is preaching that Jesus rose from the dead. This is what Peter was waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon him. And then once he received it, stepped out and began to declare that you you had him crucified, you knew him, you saw the miracles, you turned him over to be crucified, but it wasn't possible for the grave to hold him. And God raised him from the, that, that, that was the message that they were preaching. Now, could Peter have said the same words the day before? Yeah, he could have said the same words. He could have, he knew all that stuff before. He'd already seen Jesus, right? He knew all of that stuff. But he wouldn't have been able to bear witness with power. He wouldn't have had the the presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of him and been able to proclaim it in a way with power that there was a reality of what he was saying that would affect the hearers. It would have been just doctrine. It would have been just words if he would have gone out before he received the Holy Spirit. But he steps out, and if you read to the end, it says that as he was speaking, people's hearts were pierced, or they they were cut, or it literally means they were agitated. As he's talking, it's not just words. It's not just doctrine. There was something happening in their heart as he's speaking. I believe believe what what he's saying. And they, they responded, what do I need to do to be saved? Because it wasn't just talking about some guy. He was carrying the presence of the one that he was talking about. So there was a proof, Jesus, Jesus is, is alive. It should be that way in our lives, that we carry the presence of God. Our lives should be a witness. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses of me. Witnesses of what? Witnesses that Jesus is alive. That our lives should be a witness, a testimony. Jesus is alive. The way that you conduct yourself, the way that you live your life, the way that you come to church, the way that you worship once you're at church. It should be a witness to the person they're singing about, the person they're coming to meet with, the presence that they're coming to engage with. He's alive. He's alive. It's real to them. It's not just a religious drudgery, a going through the motions. The one that they're serving is he's alive. Amen. Amen. Feel free to act like that right now if you you (laughs) feel so inclined. The one, the one we're talking about, Jesus is alive. He's alive. His presence is here with us now. It's not some God that lived a long time ago that did a lot of, uh, a lot of nice things that we just come together to give appreciation for. He is alive. His spirit can live on the inside of us. He's with us now when we lift our voices to sing to him. It's, it's not singing a song about him, or it shouldn't be. It's singing a song to him. Jesus is, he is alive. The problem when we lose sight of that is we drift towards religion. The people that Peter ministered to in Acts chapter 2, they they weren't entangled in what we would call gross sin. They were religious people. 
they were, they were there in Jerusalem to celebrate a religious festival. So they weren't bound by sin the way, you know, obvious sin like we think about it. They, they were bound by religion. And it wasn't that they didn't know about Jesus, even in the verses we just read, the Jesus you knew, the Jesus that performed miracles in your midst, the Jesus that you, you turned over to be crucified. It wasn't that they didn't know about Jesus. What kept them in religion is that they didn't know Jesus was alive. And that knowledge is what moved them from religion to real relationship. Jesus, Jesus is alive, and we, we've got to keep that. And I apologize if this is too simple of a message as we start the book of Acts. But it's possible, even for those of us who know that, for that to become, for it to escape being a reality. The reality of it begins to drift on us. And if you don't believe that can happen in the life of a believer, read through the book of Galatians, that people that were excited about a relationship with Jesus over the course of time begin to rely on their own efforts. And the fact that Jesus died and rose again, the, the living Lord Jesus, it, it began to diminish, that reality diminished in their lives. But we're supposed to be witnesses. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us be effective witnesses, witnesses of what? That Jesus is alive, that we have a firsthand encounter, that we know personally, not doctrinally, personally that Jesus is alive. You know, I'm not, I'm not uh, a great legal mind by, by any measure, but I have watched quite a few episodes of Judge Judy. And more than just being a pretty face, and an attractive lady. I've, I've learned to appreciate some of the deeper qualities of Judge Judy, that she's also a great legal mind. And I've learned that when you give testimony that isn't your own testimony, that actually it's something somebody else knew or somebody else witnessed, that that's called hearsay, right? Yeah. You've heard that term, hearsay? And if you're just giving hearsay, that, that doesn't fly with Judge Judy, right? You're not being a good witness because if you're going to be a good witness, you need firsthand knowledge, firsthand experience. So for you and I to have firsthand, to, to be witnesses, that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit so I can have firsthand knowledge, Jesus, Jesus is alive. I know him. I know his presence. I, I, I know fellowship with him. Otherwise, all we have to offer, it's just, it's just empty words. It's, it's hearsay. But he said, you'll receive power to be to be witnesses. That's why we need supernatural power, an anointing from God in order to carry out being witnesses of the risen Lord Jesus because it's just hearsay. If we're just talking about, what, well, somebody told me, my grandpa told me that Jesus is alive. No, we've got to come into a personal, a personal knowledge if we're going to be witnesses. And again, if we don't do that, when we begin to drift into religion. It's just following rules and regulations and there's this guy, Jesus, we're supposed to honor. No, no, it's somebody we know. We know. Are you, are you with me on that? Yeah. A personal knowledge of Jesus. Jesus he's, he's alive. He's alive. And we can know him and honor him and fellowship with him. Serve him. He is the Lord of our lives. In, in Mark chapter 2, there is a series of run-ins that Jesus has with religious people. There's four of them. The, the first one, the first one is when Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, 
and he ends up at Matthew's house with a bunch of his tax collector sinner buddies and Jesus is with them and the religious people are upset and they're outside saying, why is he hanging out with these filthy people? Remember that story? And Jesus says, it's, it's not the sick that need it. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick people that need, that need care, need a physician. The next encounter is the Pharisees came to his disciples and said, how can we fast? Even John's disciples fast. We follow all the rules, but Jesus' disciples, you guys, you guys don't do any fasting. Then right after that, Jesus' disciples were caught grabbing some heads of grain on the Sabbath day. Religious people got all worked up about working on the Sabbath. Immediately after that, there's a story of a man with a withered hand. They're watching to see if Jesus would heal him. And of course, Jesus does heal him on the Sabbath, and they're all worked up about that. Four stories right in a row of encounters where there collision, tension between Jesus and the religious. And immediately after those four, that fourth one's in the beginning of chapter three. Immediately after that, they begin to plot to kill Jesus. But nestled right in the middle of these four encounters, Jesus says something. I'll read it to you from Mark chapter two right in the middle of these four run-ins with religious people. Mark chapter two, verse 21, Jesus says this, no one, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new, into new wineskins. So he, he uses these illustrations. You can't put a, a new patch of cloth on an old garment. Because when that new patch starts to, starts to shrink up, what's going to happen? It's going to create a lot of tension. And that tension is going to cause a tearing. It's going to end up actually what you're trying to do to fix a situation. It's actually going to cause more damage. Or you can't take new wine and put into an old wineskin. Because what you're trying to hold on to, it's going to create this pressure. And it's not going to be able to handle the pressure and you're going to end up losing the very thing that you're trying to preserve. Now, Jesus was interested in more than, you know, sewing tips and wine preservation advice. One of the things that he was talking about is the inability to take the old way of doing things religious rules and regulations to take that kind of mindset and combine it with real relationship with Jesus. That when the religious people came to him and said, hey, your, your guys aren't following the rules, you're not doing things right, you're not following all of the regulations, Jesus would say, I, I know. I know because they're, they're walking with me. They're, they're walking with the Son of God, and because they're walking with me, they, they don't need to jump through all the hoops that you've given them. And in our lives, when, when we want to serve Jesus, there's stuff that we, we know we need to fix things in our lives, things that need patch. There's things that are good that we know we need to hold on to. But when we, we take the approach of trying to do it in our own effort, where we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is alive and we start to drift towards religion, you start to feel the tension the pooling, the tearing, the, the pressure building. The, feel like you're going to, you just can't hold it together anymore. 
And I don't know if you've ever felt that in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning, you feel it now. You wanna serve God, you, you know you need help. You know there's things that you need to have in your life, but because the fact that Jesus is alive has become a fact, it's become a doctrine, it's become a belief, and it's no longer a reality, you start to feel the strain, you start to feel the tension, you start to feel like, man, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And it's not a joy. The sweetness isn't there. You feel a, a, a pressure and a, a pooling. Like the, the, the weight is on you to manage this relationship instead of serving the living, the living Lord Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, we read the first part of it where he begins to present, he begins to present the gospel, saying, this is, how, this is what I first brought to you. I, I told you how Jesus was alive. If we skip towards the end of the chapter, verse 17, he says this, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable or most miserable. Now, when he says that, he's talking about people that don't believe in the resurrection. He's saying, if, the, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Here's the situation we're in. This whole thing's nonsense. It, it's all a waste. It's, and he's, he's right, obviously. But beyond it just being a reality of the fact if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I think it can also offer some red flags for us to watch for if we're not living like Jesus has risen from the dead. Some things in our lives to be aware of. If I start to see these things then maybe it indicates the reality of the fact that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen. Maybe I've lost, I've lost sight of the reality of that. So what's the first thing he says? If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, your faith is useless. But you can examine yourself. Think about your faith. Is it, is it futile? Is it useless? Are you seeing impact? Are you seeing things change? Is your, is your faith vibrant and alive? Or does it feel like, man, this is just, it's just useless. It's just a list of rules and beliefs and doctrines. I don't really see any use or fruit. It's just a, a futile set of doctrine. If that's the case, I don't, man, my, my faith feels pretty useless, honestly. It doesn't feel powerful. It doesn't feel like I'm a, I'm a man of faith, a woman of faith. Well, maybe, maybe the reason is you, you need to be reminded Jesus, Jesus did rise from the dead and he's alive. Jesus, Jesus is alive. He's the risen Lord Jesus. The second thing he says is if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're still stuck in our sins. You know, there's a lot of believers that allow sin to remain in their lives. If you have an area of sin that you're just okay with, you're stuck in it. You're unwilling, unwilling or unable to get out of it. It could be any number of things. It could be lust. It could be uh, addiction. It could be pride. It could be gossip. It could be some habit. It's just, you know what? I'm just, I'm okay. I don't know about, people don't like it. The Bible says not to do it. I'm fine with it. Maybe the reason that you're stuck in that sin or that sin is stuck on you it's because you don't understand, you've lost sight that it's real. This thing is real. Jesus is real and he is alive and he's the soon coming king. You've, you've lost sight of the reality that Jesus is alive. And so it's made you very, very passive when it comes to eradicating sin from your life. If that's you, maybe you need refreshed, a reminder. Jesus is alive. He's alive. The third thing he mentions, the last thing he mentions, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are the most pitiable 
can also be translated miserable of all people. Maybe you're just miserable. Some people serving the Lord, they are just miserable people. There's no joy. There's no excitement. There's no passion. There's no fruit of the Spirit. They're just miserable people because they feel the weight of religion. They're worn out. They're weary in doing good because they feel the pressure on themselves. If you feel miserable serving the Lord instead of a sense of joy, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. If you feel weighed down and troubled in your effort to serve the Lord, then maybe it's what He's talking about. The reality that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. You've lost sight of that reality and you need to be reminded you need to be reminded this morning. I just want to take a few minutes this morning just to invite Jesus. Come and make yourself real to me. Invite the Holy Spirit. Come and make yourself real. That I'll be a witness, not, not a second hand. I don't want my testimony to be hearsay. Pastor Luke said Jesus is alive. No, I know from myself. I know the presence of Jesus. The, the Holy Spirit, that's what he does. The Holy Spirit bears witness. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to be able to testify firsthand Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit brings us into that encounter, the presence of Jesus, the, the presence of Jesus. And if we had time, we'd go through the rest of the book of Acts show you that, that that's the emphasis throughout, I'm sorry, the, the first chapter anyway, that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. At the end of that chapter, they, they pick someone to replace Judas. They said, okay, here's the qualifications for the guy that we pick. He has to be someone that was with us the whole time and someone that can be a, a witness of what? A witness of the resurrection. We need someone who knows that Jesus, that was the emphasis. We need someone that knows that Jesus is alive. When Jesus ascended, Later in Acts chapter one, they're, they're watching, he disappears. Angels show up and say, what are you guys doing? Why are you standing here looking into the sky? Same Jesus you saw, he's, he's coming, he's coming again. He didn't cease to exist, he's still alive. This isn't, this isn't a religion, a philosophy, a doctrine of looking back longingly. Jesus, he was such a great man. He, oh man, I really appreciate the things he did. He's still alive and he's coming back again. You've gotta be busy being witnesses of the fact that Jesus is still alive and he's returning again. It's all through chapter one. The emphasis is on the living, the living Lord Jesus. Jesus is alive. So I wanna take some time this morning Again, maybe you feel that pressure, that tension, that pooling, you've drifted into religion. Let, let it just be refreshed in your heart. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.